The following Art Trap production is brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by donations from listeners like you. Live from Dr. Fendelman's lab, it's Dr. Who Podshock. Dr. Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it now. I <laughs> you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program, with Louis Trapani, Hello. Ken Deep, Hello. James Norton, Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock, from the Gallifrey Embassy and Outpost Gallifrey. You know, that guy James was really cool. Oh, yeah, who blew that? <laughs> I'm the Doctor, and who are you? Outpost Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 133. As Ken likes to say, it's another super sexy swinging edition. My name is James Norton, and this time across the pond, I'm joined by the fabulous Mr. Louis Trapani. Hello! And the fantastic Mr. Ken Deep. Hello. So, yes, indeed, we're mixing it up a little bit. I know that I don't usually bring it in, but uh, Ken and Lewis thought they handed over to me to introduce the show this week. So, to share the love, and um, you have be it on your heads, guys. Be it on your heads. That's all I'm saying. Give you some love, and yes, indeed. (laughs) Well, without further ado, let's jump straight right into the news. Well, there's not a great deal since last time we recorded, I guess. But the news breaking today is that Billy Piper has given birth to her first son, a baby boy. So congratulations to Billy. She's uh, just delivered her baby boy at uh, a private Portland hospital, thought to be by cesarean section. And her husband, Lawrence Fox, was delighted. He said, I feel fantastic. So that is absolutely brilliant. We were talking about this uh, off air for a mm-hmm. bit, and, and Lewis didn't even realize that uh, no, I didn't. That I, Billy was pregnant. I had no idea she was with child. <laughs> Just goes to show you. Well, I guess that they, she, she has tried to keep um, it under wraps, and, and quite so, I guess. I mean, who wants uh, the press to be in with your private life and your family life all of the time? I mean, she's a, a massive star in the UK, and all the rest of it, and uh, particularly her uh, her wedding, which I guess was back in the new year. I think she got married on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, um, was heavily publicized in the press. Yeah, and let's see, it's October, nine months. Okay, never mind. Go ahead. Yeah, well, quite. <laughs> Just coming um, back nine months. <laughs> but I think that the, the news was actually broken by uh, Chris Evans, her former her husband and still good friend who revealed the news, at least uh, I think that's the way it was presented on the BBC. So, because um, th- as I say, I think uh, she wasn't due for a while. So um, hopefully everything went okay as it had to be delivered by cesarean section. But we just thought that we would give it a brief mention and say congratulations. As uh, mm-hmm. it's always terrific when... Uh, when we bring a new life into the world, the miracle of life, as they say. And the baby hasn't, like, regenerated in any way. We, we know it's, it's human. 
Yes. <laughs> and I think, as far as the, the forums go, that uh, the lad is going to be called Winston, so we hope that he's, he's doing well. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, well, congratulations. I mean, I know I was kidding before, so um, kidding aside, <laughs> congratulations to Billy Piper. It's, uh, we're just, you know, Billy, if you're listening, you know we're all friends here and we're just joking around. And I'm yeah, sure she does. she's an avid listener I'm to Podge. I'm sure she is. I mean, <laughs> bloody sends us feedback every week. We can't keep it at bay. I mean, please get on with it. Get on with yourself. You're no longer in Doctor Who and, you know, cut the umbilical cord as it is, as it were. <laughs> well, oh, no. the thing is, is that um, it, it's funny that you, when you mentioned to me that uh, you didn't realize that she was pregnant, because I seem to remember that the last sort of story on the BBC that I read about Billy Piper, I guess it was it was a few months ago now, maybe back in September. Um, she was asked, I guess because maybe Doctor Who had just finished uh, the previous series and all the rest of it, they asked her whether she would be interested in coming back for uh, another series or whatever in the future, should the possibility arise. And she she said that she genuinely um, would have to think about it and for the time being, uh, the, her thoughts of becoming a mother that would basically be her priority rather than her career. So, um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's interesting really, particularly also as she's been doing this, um, secret diary of a call girl, which I think is just either mm -hmm. the, the second series is just finished or, um, is in the process of wrapping up here in the UK. So, and it's um, been shown here in the States as well on, on, I believe on HBO. So, um, yeah, people are, are watching it here as well. Showtime. Oh, Showtime. Okay, one of the premium channels uh, for sure. So Showtime it is, and so I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people that are just getting introduced to Billy Piper outside of the whole Doctor Who experience. Hmm. Mm. But I guess that that's really it from the Doctor Who newsroom. I guess that uh, Lewis has been doing such a terrific job with the Thank Sonic you. News Driver. I have to say, keeping us all up to date on. Uh, your daily Doctor dose Who of Doctor Who related stories delivered to you um, sonically. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Well, I'm, I, it's great because it means that I, uh, on the way walking to work, I don't have to really, when I get to work, I don't really have to bother checking uh, the, the, the web to find <laughs> out what's going on because Lewis tells me right, it's delivered to me sonically right in my ear. Right, yeah, and a little, you know, digestible little sonic capsule. Mm, mm. So, uh, but, yeah, for those, I mean, obviously anyone that's listening to this are getting it right now on the feed. And um, if by chance you you found this episode outside of the feed, strangling on its own somewhere, dangling off a bush somewhere, I don't know where you, but <laughs> you can find you can find it right now. It's being previewed on the Dr. Pachak feed. And it's also um, if you go to uh, sonicnewsdriver.com. It will bring you to um, the Art Trap site, and there you will find it there as well. And you can find it in iTunes and listen to it at your at your pleasure. Cool. But I, I guess before we jump into sort of the meat and potatoes of the podcast, we should mention um, about our current sponsor, the New England Fan Experience. They've just seemed to have uh, redesigned their website, which is they always do a terrific job. Um, and that's their site is over at www.nefe.us. Uh, just around the corner now, the convention 
Lewis and Ken will be there from November the 21st to the 23rd. Are you going to be there for the full duration, gentlemen? Yes, we're um, well. We're going to be there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. In fact, we <laughs> we just acquired uh, a hotel room for a Friday night where uh, we were. That was sort of um, still in the midst of, um, of of being arranged because they had sold out on Friday night. And in fact, you cannot get the hotel room for Friday night using the group code for the new england fan experience um but it's sold out that's yeah. how popular this yeah, thing they, is they really. did open up another they, they did manage a deal with the marriott down the road where um rooms are available with a group discount for the new england fan experience and they have a shuttle bus that will bring you to the hyatt regency where the event is taking place so cool um, so is yeah, that, if, if that's you, every day the the shuttles will run and all the rest of it yeah i don't know about the schedules if you know I would suspect that they, they may, you know, be on a certain time schedule, you know, in intervals, but I don't know what that is at this time. Mm, mm. So I, but, I, I think you were just about to say who was going to be there, which is... Um, <laughs> yeah, but go ahead, Lewis. Peter Davison, who um, <laughs> I, I would think our listeners know who he is, the fifth Doctor, Doctor Who, Robert Picardo, also from Star Trek, but a different Star Trek, that's Voyagers, or Voyager, I should say, and Stargate Atlantis. Marina Bacarin from Firefly and Stargate SG-1. Mark Goodard from Lost in Space, who played Don West, uh, Major Don West. And um, various other guests are there. So check it out at www.nefe.us. And there yeah. you'll find more details about the convention, plus information on how to register. And, and, and I would suggest it's just a month away now as we record this. So um, if you haven't made your arrangements... Now is the time. <laughs> I mean, Definitely is the time. I know, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to to hear because I well, guess you'll. Well, you guys will be recording something out there, yes, and we'll be no doubt have a chat to Peter. Yes, and we'll try to get some information out as we're there as well. So maybe aftershocks or whatever you know, anything that we can get out, or just information being posted on the website about what's going on there. We'll try to get that out on the spot as quickly as possible, and then. Um, on a related note, speaking about hotel arrangements, it should be noted that if you're planning to attend Gallifrey 20, which is taking place next year, well, in February, not even when I say next year, I mean 2009, but it's literally just months away, 13th, 14th, and 15th of February of 2009, the hotel is getting booked up very quickly, sooner this year than previous years. So if you haven't made your arrangements there, it may be too late by the time you're hearing this, but I would definitely um, get on the ball with that. Good to know, good to know. Any other convention news, gentlemen, before we get into the meat and potato of things? Uh, other than to say that Hurricane Who has their own podcast now, which I believe is called Doctor Who Timelines. And if you go to the Hurricane, Hurricane, Hurricane um, <laughs> Who website, you'll find a link to that podcast. I have only had time to listen to, they've at this time of this recording, they've recorded two episodes. I've only had time to listen to the first one. And judging from that first one, it's, it's a good introduction to Doctor Who for those that may not be familiar with it. Jared is uh, basically one of the people responsible for putting the show together. And he, and along with his uh co-host and i'm just struggling to remember his name it's anyway i I can't think of it off the top of my head basically they 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 banter about different things about doctor who kind of from a newbie 
perspective, kind of explaining things. And if you are by chance just getting into the series, that might be something to check out. Cool. Fair enough. So if there's no further news, we'll be right back. Oh, uh, sorry, Ken. Hurricane Who has their um, one-day 45th anniversary event coming up Saturday, November 22nd with uh, Terrence Dix. And the information on that's also at uh, Hurricane Who's website, hurricanewho.com. Thanks, Ken. I didn't. I wasn't aware of that. That's why we've got you on board to uh, to get our backs for this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a pretty exciting time. In, next month is the 45th anniversary of the series, so there are various different celebratory events taking place, not just only in the states but around the world. So. Um, I, I believe Ken last time did a call out. If anyone's attending any of these events, we want to get reports. You know, if if you can, you know, put something together about your experiences at these various different uh, events. We'll want to hear from you. You know, this is um, as we always say, this podcast is um, for fans by fans, and it's just as much as your show it is as it is ours. So, um, these you know, getting feedback like this and getting um, you know hands-on um, reports on the various different conventions because obviously we can't be at all of them so it's it's fa- fantastic to get fantastic to get the stuff back and so that we can replay it to our listeners i also wanted to put a call out to any of the any new fan groups forming around i was going to say around the country but it could be around the world i know a few new fan groups local fan groups have uh, formed since the start of the new series, especially with it airing on Sci-Fi Channel here in the United States. And we'd like to get the word out if we possibly can. It'll be pretty much impossible to announce every event everywhere. But if you if you are forming a new group, and you know we've mentioned DWNY on several occasions, and there's a, a group in, I think, San Antonio that we talked about, and we just want to get the word out and help uh, let people know that there are groups forming all over. Where there are some groups that have been around for a long time, like the Gallifrey Embassy, that have gone that have go way back to the classic series first coming to the to America, but there's got to be new groups, and we want to spread the word about them and, and help you uh, get the word out about your group. So if you do have it, you can always me- email us at feedback at podshock.net and uh, give us the heads up on what's going on in your area. Absolutely. And I also wanted to make a mention, uh, I did this on the last episode towards the end, and I wanted to put this a little bit, um, bring it a little bit forward in the podcast. Uh, If you're ordering tickets to any of the conventions or you're ordering any Doctor Who merchandise from any of the retailers around the world, if there's an opportunity to put a comment or a a little, um, sometimes it'll say company or group or anything like that, you can always put Podshock in there. It helps spread the word uh, to retailers and to conventions that you heard about their particular event or their particular uh, store or online retailer through Podshock, and that would be very helpful to us. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, we're going to be right back after this. Hello, my name's Wendy Padbury, and you're listening to Doctor Who Podshock.
damage report. Captain, I'm getting casualty reports from all over the ship. Systems reaching critical, Captain. Can't take this much longer. I'm sensing stress, sir. Oh, really? We're surrounded by Cardassian ships. And now we've got a coolant leak, sir. Shouldn't something be done to correct that? We always seem to be having coolant leaks. This stress has more to do with what you're expecting from your crew, sir. Perhaps if you were to divide the tasks, it might make things easier. Excellent suggestion. Prepare for saucer separation. Prepare to move all critical injuries to the saucer section. Systems are in line for saucer separation, sir. Very well. Engage. Hey, Keith. What the hell are you doing? We're recording the promo for next month. You know, now that the show's on twice a month, we thought this was the best way to sort of announce it. No, no, no. I mean, John, what the hell are you doing? Me? Well, I'm doing my Picard impression. Uh-huh. Is that what you call it? All right, I can't believe that I, of all people, am going to say this, but you really shouldn't be doing a Star Trek parody for this promo. Our next roundtable is about the 45th anniversary of Doctor Who. I know, but it's a metaphor for what the show is doing. You know, saucer sap, show splitting into two. Uh-huh, and if we were doing a Star Trek roundtable, that would be great. But honestly, what have you guys been doing while I was gone? You've got James Moran, who's one of the screenwriters for both Doctor Who and Torchwood, You've got Louis Trapani, who is the host of the Doctor Who Podshock podcast. Not to mention the host is the editor of the Doctor Who short anthology, The Quality of Leadership, whose name modesty prevents me from mentioning. And you're doing Star Trek? So, what do you think we should be doing? Easy. Watch. And a three. And a two. You know, this is a lot easier. I could phone this in. Um, but you are phoning it in. Oh, yeah. Anyway, three, two... One. Doctor, what is it? It's a chronic rift. It's growing larger by the moment. It's taking everything the old girl has to avoid being swallowed by it. Chronic? It's a hole in time. Now, if I can just reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, I might be able to counteract the pull of the rift. Polarity of the what now? I'll explain later. John, what the hell was that? Well, that's my Patrick Troughton. Uh-huh. Give us November 17th of the Chronic Rift for a discussion of the 45th anniversary of the long-running cult show, Doctor Who. And make sure you visit us on the web for more Rift goodness at www.chronicrift.com. I'm Arenthal Hawkins, the only black guy in the promo. And somehow I ended up as Jordy. Go fake. Podshock. At least I believe this is Doctor Who Podshock. That's what the name says here. And, as far as um, I'm aware. 
<laughs> as far as you're aware of. And this is um, we, we've been meaning to um, to do this review for a while now. We've been uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's uh, one one thing or another led us astray with it, but we're finally going to tackle it in this episode. This is a BBC audio CD that's available, but it's based on a book. It's The Wooden Heart, and it's written by Martin Day. And the BBC audio is read by... Take it away, James! Adua Ando, who incidentally is, um, aside from playing uh, Martha's mum in the fourth series, and Sister Jat, who was one of the uh, sisters of, of Plenitude in New Earth back in series two, actually is a uh, professional audiobook narrator. Um, so oh, you, I mm-hmm. think it really shows Absolutely. in uh, in this production because one of the fan, from at least from my perspective, one of the the best things about the the audio CD over the book because I've got the book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the audio CD being slightly, I guess I think it's it is a bridge. It is a bridge, yes. Um, but she uh, she does a great job of sort of vocalizing and and emulating other the actors on the show that we've come to know and love, their characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I mean, I don't know what you guys think I about agree. that. I agree. I think, I mean, she was really the star, you know, her, her portrayal of, I mean, she she really captures Martha Jones's character. Uh, she, she obviously, I mean, she plays in the series Francine Jones, her mother, uh, though Francine Jones is not in this story, but she really captures um, Martha Jones, I think, very well as far as capturing her you know, the way intonation yeah. and all the rest of it that's true and also she has quite a, a theatrical way of speaking i think um because she's done all sorts of different things on the stage like his dark materials stuff happens a streetcar named desire the, the vagina monologues mm-hmm. the list goes on so um for for me certainly one of the best things about this audio production this audio book is is um, is Adua and her, her her narration is is very very good, um, and brings sort of a, she brings the tale to life. And for me, that's what you want in an in an audio book. Aside from it being a terrific story, you want a good um, narrator to to bring the story to life. Because otherwise, you may as well just read the the literal version. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, are we going to, is this going to be spoiler free or are we going to pick apart the story uh, piece by piece or what? What do you reckon, guys? Well, we can, I mean, um, obviously we don't want to give any, uh, we don't want to spoil it. Major so that, details yeah, way, yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we can talk a little bit about the story, and but without giving anything that would, you know, spoil the, the any surprises or anything like that. Yeah. Well, for, for me, um, I for one of the interesting things about this story is it kind of almost felt like a Stephen Moffat story. Yeah, I got that feeling too, at least a certain aspect of it, yes. Yeah, because it's kind of, it, when I was listening to it, it it reminded me a lot about um, uh, The Girl, the girl in the Fireplace. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even, I think, the Doctor sort of mentions um, a craft with a link back to person from Earth's history, which is a direct reference to, to Girl in the Fireplace. Um, but basically, the 
a good synopsis, I guess, of, of the, the book itself is that the Doctor and Martha land on a deserted spaceship, very much like in Girl in the, Fireplake, Girl in the Fireplace. Mm-hmm. And they, they find um, sort of a village in the middle of the, the spaceship. And so naturally, they, they want to try and work out what on earth is going on. How did the village get there? What's, its, what's it doing on the ship? Um, but they find out that it's got a whole host of different pro- problems. And, of course, being Doctor Who, there's, there's got to be some monsters in there. Um, and I, the, the load of their kids are going missing. It's quite a complicated uh, story, as you'd expect from, from Doctor Who, and kind of leaves you guessing at every turn, which also was something which kind of... It reminded me of a, of a Stephen Moffat story because that's one great thing about his his uh his tv programs are, are that he always keeps you guessing i never quite know what's going to happen um with with, with stephen moffat's stories uh, yeah, but that's know, by yeah that's you by the, what's going to be so, around the corner you know it's, it's yeah. always I, I remember that from the very beginning that you know basically my first introduction to stephen moffat was going back you know to the 2005 series of Doctor Who with um, The Empty Child. And I remember, you know, watching those Doctor Who episodes at that time. And up until that point, you pretty much had an idea where the stories were going. But when I was first watching The Empty Child, I had I was, it was completely clueless where this was going to go. And that's what was really exciting, watching that for the first time, because it really kept you on the edge of your seat where it was going. And, and it was thrilling. It was great. Mm. Well, I mean, it's it's fantastic that Martin Dale, Day, has, the author, has really picked up on that kind of style. Um, and I believe that he's written many other sort of um, spin-off style books relating to, to BBC uh, TV, even going so far as writing uh, unofficial guidebooks for many sci-fi uh, or fantasy-style um uh, series like the X Files, like Star Trek: The Next Generation, etc. Um, and also, I think he's he's a good mate of of our friend Paul Cornell. So, and, he's, and uh, Keith Topping as well. The three of them wrote a book together. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as far as the story goes, um, I mean, I, d- I don't know. I've, I've spoken enough about this. What do you guys think um, in terms of, of the plot? I don't want to give too much away. In, in addition to being a lot like Girl in the Fireplace, it reminded me of the uh, M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Village, where mm. you're in a sort of tight-knit environment and there's some thing outside the village that's nobody wants to talk about and nobody wants to go there. And so, so it had it had some nods there as well. But I agree with you that the best part of the audiobook is the performance of the narrator. It's, you know, the whole capturing David Tennant's uh, and uh, Freema Adjman's cadences and their style of speaking and their style of acting. She hits it right on the money. Mm-hmm. And I think, as far as I'm aware, this book must have been written fairly early on in Series 3 or just before Series 3 had started because the references that they make, that the author makes in in the production all seem to refer to the early stories like uh, Smith and Jones. I think they reference rhino headed stormtroopers. Um, 
the Shakespeare Code. I think they some one stage refer to witches and things on broomsticks, trying to draw parallels there. Um, well, also, I think they um, they draw references to the first series um, because there's a bit um, where Martha talks about um, the village itself and how on earth it could um, appear or be sort of compacted onto a, a, rel- a relatively small ship and sort of draws the parallel to the TARDIS. And I think the Doctor mentions that, like, Every time you, when every time you open the TARDIS door, the console room is always there, um, nine times out of ten. And I think that that was a reference for me anyway to Father's Day, where mm-hmm. you know when he's just had that massive argument with Rose, he goes back to the TARDIS, opens the doors, and it's just it's just a police box. It's the TARDIS, the inside is gone, been separated from the outside. Mm-hmm. So um, and I, I always like it when they do that in 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 novels and it's great that it ties it together in terms of the canon because i i really don't like it when because in terms of a lot of uh fan well not fan production because it's not fan made but in terms of a lot of authorized like star trek books or star wars books or whatever sometimes they don't it doesn't feel like Star Wars or Doctor Who or whatever it might be because yeah. there's not enough references there and that's important to tie it all together. And here I think they did a, they did a good job of that um, themselves, uh, which is quite fun. But I, I don't know whether we should rate it or whether anybody else well, would I, like to... I enjoyed it. Uh, I did have... A, and, and this really goes nothing to the story itself, but sometimes with the format of an audiobook, it's, it is two hours... And 30 minutes long, and it is, again, unlike a audio drama where, let's say, a big finish or um, something of that nature where there's various actors and whatever actually doing a dramatization, it is, and, and as good as she is, um, it is still just a one person, a single voice that's telling you a story. So if you try to do this in one sitting, which sometimes I try to do, I find myself somewhere in the middle drifting off or whatever, or, or you know, winding up doing other things and, and, and losing track and having to go back and re-listen to it. But it, again, it's not the fault of the story. It's just, that's just the way I am, whatever. So um, outside of that, I mean, taking that into consideration and not having that negative thing really, you know, play a part in it, uh, I'll give it three TARDIS groans. I'll go along with that because I think if it were the book, if I were reading the book for the first time, I probably would give it two and a half TARDIS groans out of five, purely because although the style is great and the story itself is very, very good, for me, there were too many parallels to Stephen Moffat-style stories. Um, and whilst that works for television, I don't think it works for an audiobook. And I don't think... It, it, I don't think that you should have a situation where I, I read something or hear something and I'm reminded too much of one particular Doctor Who story. And for me, I was just reminded too much of The Girl in the Fireplace throughout the whole book, which, whilst it's great to have references and things, it's not so good to uh, to be constantly model your story on something else, which is a shame because I think that Martin Day is a terrific author. Um, and I think that, that 
if it hadn't have been for the girl in the fireplace, I probably would give the book sort of four or five TARDIS crowns. But I'm going to give it three and a half because I think it deserves an extra star just from Adjua Ando's performance um, in portraying the characters. And because um, I've listened to a few Doctor Who audiobooks, um, aside from the Big Finish style stuff, and um, some actors have, have struggled trying to portray characters. But this was the first one, I think, since David Tennant did it that I was really quite impressed. Mm -hmm. So for, on that basis, I'm going to give it three and a half TARDIS crowns out of five. And that's actually, you, you if, if I... If I didn't know any better, I'd say you you copied my review. You copied off with him. It, Ken, it it's really just, is it's because, great minds think alike, mate. Because I agree with it's ex my exact criticism of the story is I couldn't get it out of my mind about Girl in the Fireplace. Girl in the Fire, very Girl in the Fireplace without the romance. Mm. Um, and then and without the the kind of um, atmosphere, I think. Yes, um, still a, a pretty decent story. And the performance, the you know the the the, uh, the narration was just spectacular. I mean, for for the the impersonations of David Tennant and Freema Adjaman, it's worth a listen right off the bat. So th there's extra points given um, for the audiobook format. I didn't read the original novel, and I know you did, James. So I'd be curious to know if the unabridged version is a little more in depth than. To be honest, it's it's been such a long time since I read the book. I I didn't really remember much about it when I listened to the audio, uh, the audio book. Um, but I do seem after I uh, after I had listened to the audio book, I, I did remember that it was quite a lengthy story, and I did think that it's quite a good thing that I had forgotten. Um, forgotten about the book because if i if i hadn't then i probably wouldn't have been so enthusiastic about sitting down and listening to the audiobook um because i think that the audiobook is superior to the to the actual book because as you pointed out it's it's more abridged and the narration is is so good um and it's a shame really but i think that it's not necessarily to do with the story it's more to do with the fact that I just couldn't get the girl in the fireplace out of my mind, um, and I, I and I maybe got hung up on that. I don't know. Um, so I would say that the audiobook in this instance is better than the book, and maybe that's the first time that that's happened to me because usually I prefer the book because um, it gets set in my brain. Um, I, I can kind of imagine things a lot better when I'm reading it than when I'm when it's spoken. And although it's a lot more because maybe it's because it's more involved, you actually have to sit down and, and read the damn thing and, and invest a lot of time in it because I'm I'm not a big reader. And so when I do uh sit down and read a book, usually I do get quite absorbed in it because um I have to in, I have to invest a lot of time and concentration in it to, to read something. Um, I don't know whether it's just because I'm a product of of the late 20th century, re, uh, always watching television so much and, and never picking up a book, and maybe that's a shame. But just for me, I preferred the audiobook. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, you, it's great that you can just whack it on and 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 walk <laughs> to work or when you're on the train we, or whatever. We all enjoyed that term, by the way. <laughs> whack it on. <laughs> whack it on. Yeah, wax on, wax off. Um, <laughs> no, I, I I dig stuff like that, and and maybe it's just because I'm lazy. I don't know, but uh, yeah, certainly the the book was a lot more involved i think as as far as i remember i think they did a, a great job of sort of editing it down f- for the audiobook well I, I think what you were just saying is head on you know it really nails it for me is that's my problem is that it's very hard for me to kind of carve out some time to just you know read a book or just you know or for this matter carve out some time to just listen to this and i think if i was to do that i would get more out of it than I, I tend to do other things while I'm listening to things. So it's hard to, you, you, can, you can listen to an audiobook while driving, but you can't read a book. Well, you shouldn't be reading a book while driving. <laughs> yes, not, not the safest thing to do. Yeah, so it's, it's a lot more convenient when you have something in an audio format. And as a podcast, I know I'm maybe sounding biased, but it's something that it's, it's just a, a format that's easier to, to deliver and um, to digest and consume. Yeah, I agree. And I think that if that wasn't true, um, I'm, I'm sure that probably half of our listeners, maybe more to this podcast, do so on the way to work or on their commute or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage people. I think it is a story worth listening to. Um, well, somewhere right now, there's there's somebody who's saying the ultimate form of laziness in the 21st century is the inability to sit down and read a book. There's there's some <laughs> old librarian somewhere who's 112 years old going, you young people are just too lazy to even sit down and read. But but I but I agree that there are I I do the same thing with the these uh, books on on CD and with the big finish productions you just put it on and you listen to it and i'm cleaning the house or doing something else and or traveling in a car just great because you it's portable um adventures yeah and i wanted to thank bbc audiobooks by the way for for setting us up with the um yeah we should mention it is a bbc audio it's a two cd set and as i Mm. said the running time is about uh two hours and 30 minutes and it's available now BBC Audiobooks has done just a spectacular job. They're, they're taking some of the, the original novels that are coming out for the new series. They've also gone back and taken the classic, like, Target books and, and some of the old novelizations that were written by Terence Dix and Malcolm Hulk, and the, the list goes on and on. The, the classic series, they'll, they'll get an actor from the original series to narrate an unabridged version where it's possible. And they've done some incredible audiobooks. Uh, Jeffrey Beavers does The Space War, which is the adaptation of Frontier in Space, and that's unabridged, and it goes on forever. But it's absolutely spectacular. And um, they just, they're just doing some great things. And I, I, I think part of this comes from um, the success of Big Finish, that people are willing to sit down and listen to something, and they're seeing that, and they're producing these. And... I really want to thank them. I think they do a great job. Mm, I agree. And um, the last one that I listened to, The Sting of the Zygons, when we reviewed that about a year ago, again, the production on that was terrific. And uh, kudos to them. And I would heavily encourage, I mean, I didn't particularly enjoy the story, but that's just because it was, for me, it was too similar to, the girl in the fireplace but it certainly is worth a listen and 
you know, there are a whole host of stories out there that you can take your pick from. So uh, do go and, and check them out. And I think they're they're relatively inexpensive as well, which is a terrific thing. Uh, you know, there may be a tenner, I think. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's really cool to go out and buy one and listen to it on the way to work or whatever. That's how I listen to this one. BBC so. Audio Books also put out uh, John Barrowman reading his autobiography. Uh, anything goes. So, I mean, it's those kind of things. Like, I might not have time to sit down and read John Barrowman's autobiography with the list of things, the litany of things that I have to read and watch and listen to. But to just put it on while you're maybe over the course of a few days getting ready for work or doing something, it's great. Mm, mm. I would be very hard-pressed to try to read a book in the shower. And it just would be very difficult. So <laughs> listening to it on audiobook is... Uh, yeah, you put it on, you crank it up a little bit, and away you go. <laughs> and it's, I also should mention um, that they do have an awful lot of these uh, Doctor Who audiobooks on iTunes now, certainly on the UK iTunes store. Um, there's, I think, about 10 or 12, if not more, um, of, of the new style Doctor Who ones of, of the, the current series and beyond, as well as these sort of target novelizations, um, books there by Barry Letts, Terry Nation, Colin Meek. It's all there. It's really, really cool. And I'm kudos to the BBC for hopping on to the digital bandwagon as well as, as producing the CD. Um, yeah. And it's also great that um, Toby Haydock's Moth Sate My Doctor Who scarf is is on iTunes as well. That's a cool little thing that everyone wants to check out too. I mean, are we going to get around to this at some point? <laughs> I mean, I, it's just it's just haunting me. This Moth Sate My My Doctor Who scarf. Well, he is going to be there at uh, Gallifrey Twenty, so and I think he is going to be doing a live performance. So, um, you know, if we if we haven't That's listened what the to it before, says. then. Yeah, that's what the website says. So hopefully we'll have the chance to uh, to check that one out um, before we go. I've just checked on the U.S. store, and on the U.S. store, there's loads of the Doctor Who audiobooks as well. So. Oh, yeah, on iTunes, absolutely. Yeah, in, including, what... um, in addition to the audio books, the, um, the missing episodes, you know, things like Fury from the Deep and, and, yes. and episodes like that are also available on there. Sweet. Not that we've got um, a sponsorship from iTunes or anything, sadly, although we damn well should should have. <laughs> we do promote well, I, them a lot. I also do. Uh, wanted to make a, a quick note that we continue to be number one when you type in Doctor Who in iTunes and you click on podcasts and we're ranked number one, which is pretty cool. It means people are continuing to subscribe to Doctor Who pod shock and they're telling their friends about it and I just wanted to say thanks. That's you know mm. so mm-hmm. it's surprising, believe me. You know, we're we're never it's never far from our minds that uh, that people are still listening. So thanks. Yeah, cheers guys. Really cool. Well, so we we just did an audio C D review, which was a adopted from a book by Martin Day. So we have a uh, a special treat for you. We have Barnaby Edwards, who's uh, the president of Doctor Who New York, DWNY. He has um, the the latest book that's re- that's capturing everyone's attention is a book by Russell mm. T Davies called Doctor Who: A Writer's Tale, and um, 
and Barnaby was kind enough to um, give us his thoughts about. Now, he must have he must have picked this up on the on one of the UK sites because it hasn't been re- released in America yet. I think it's November eleventh or twelfth. I think so. It's still well by the time this podcast gets out, it should be out. Well, this is what Barnaby had to say about Doctor Who: The Writer's Tale. Hi there, Poncho guys. This is Barnaby Edwards from the Doctor Who New York fan group, and here's a review of the new book, The Writer's Tale, by Russell T. Davies and Benjamin Cook. I was pretty excited about this book, so I ordered it from Amazon in the UK and uh, got it Hold a couple you. of weeks ago, and I've been reading it since then, and extremely enjoyable it has been too. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is a book published by BBC Books and Random House, and I believe it'll be available in the United States towards the end of November. Um, And it's by Russell T. Davies, as I mentioned, and Benjamin Cook, who writes for Doctor Who magazine. So what's the book about? Well, mainly it's a selection of emails between Ben Cook and Russell T. Davies uh, that cover the writing of Voyage of the Damned in February 2007 through to the start of writing the 2008 Christmas special um, in March 2008. Uh, there's also the odd uh, text message transcript uh, between uh, Ben Cook and Russell. And... Um, large chunks of the Series 4 scripts for Voyage of the Damned, Partners in Crime, The Stolen Earth, and Journey's End. And as well, there's a few bonus emails between uh, Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat, and a couple of other people who are involved on the Doctor Who production team. These emails cover a wide variety of topics, uh, but mainly focus on the process of writing, hence the name The Writer's Tale. Uh, And it seems to um, have started with uh, Ben Cook emailing Russell and suggesting an article in Doctor Who magazine on how Russell writes. And it turned into this 528-page tome. Yes, it it will take a little while to get through it. And these emails range from uh, Russell describing the process uh, of writing to happenings that are going on around the Doctor Who office uh, in the time frame that the book covers, uh, how he deals with budget issues and how that affects his scripts, uh, rumor control from the tabloids. Uh, There's a lot of discussion about the differences between uh, drafts of the scripts, um, and you get to see here, get to see, well, you get to read first drafts and first um, first thoughts about how the plots will work in, in many of the uh, series 4 scripts. Oh, and, and there's also an in-depth discussion of Channel 4's show Skins. I'm not quite sure what that has to do with Doctor Who, but both Russell and Ben seem to enjoy it immensely. I think the... Uh, Oh, the most uh, overwhelming sense you get from the book is how hard uh, Russell T. Davies works to write this show and to make this show um, and how much he loves this show. It's really not a how-to guide to writing, but more of a how-to guide if you want to write using the same method as Russell T. Davies. I'm not altogether sure that that would be the most healthy way to write, since it seems to involve smoking lots and lots and lots of cigarettes, not sleeping, worrying enough to give yourself an ulcer or make yourself sick in other ways, and then actually typing words with about two days to go before the deadline and then missing it. Um, I think that's basically a pretty good summary of what happens, but uh, obviously there's a, a lot more to it than that. 
uh, he talks about uh, spending most of his time letting ideas percolate in his head. Uh, he doesn't appear to make notes and just thinks about it all the time, holds it in his head, and then sits down and writes in a, in a linear fashion from start to finish. And he rewrites as he goes. Um, a lot of the time listening to music, he talks a lot about the music that inspires him. Um, before Partners in Crime featured Donna, he had a character in there called Penny that I'll talk about a little bit more later in this review. Um, and she had a, uh, a theme song from a, a British singer named uh, Micah. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And, and apparently Russell was playing that all the time as he was uh, thinking about her scenes. And... Um, Interestingly enough, he worries incessantly about the same kinds of things that we fans do. He, he really wants it to be perfect, and he worries about how plot resolutions would be perceived and all that type of thing. Does occasionally visit the uh, Doctor Who forum, thoughts, believe it or not. So all of you out there who may be wondering if he reads your posts, it is possible. <laughs> he probably doesn't like them, but it is possible. As I, as I mentioned earlier in this review, one of the uh, things you really get a sense of when reading this is how incredibly hard um, Russell works to write his scripts and produce this show. Um, and he actually goes so far as to mention at one point that the thing that annoys him most about uh, criticism of his scripts, because obviously everybody's going to be criticized from time to time, is when he's called a lazy writer or a lazy person. And reading this book it's very very clear that he is none of those things he he's lived and breathed this show and very little else um for for the last five years and, and in fact he chastises himself for not giving enough time to both his personal life and to uh, torchwood and the sarah jane adventures um so he he definitely uh, gives it 150 percent you know you read about him uh, working himself into sickness uh, not that smoking constantly while you're writing is particularly healthy anyway one other example during the filming of series four he was knocked out by chickenpox for two weeks um and flew over Christmas. Uh, he was supposed to go on vacation for a month and ended up going away for a week. And it, it's not just his own writing that that affects, as, as has been reported uh, constantly um, with uh, reports of the new series of Doctor Who. Um, Russell rewrites almost every other script in the series, very much like American showrunners give a polish to each script. But it seems like he really goes deeper than that, um, and it actually becomes a major rewrite on, on, on regular occasions. And there's actually an example uh, given in the book uh, where you get James Moran's uh, draft of a scene from the fires of Pompeii, and then you see what that draft looked like after Russell had finished with it. And while it's still identifiably the same scene, uh, the words are very, very different, and it's a lot tighter, and you can see the effect and the impact that that rewriting has on the finished product. Interestingly, he, he mentions when uh, Human Nature was broadcast that everybody's praising Paul Cornell to the hill, yet uh, uh, he mentions that he, nobody will ever really know exactly how much of the human nature script uh, he wrote, although, you know, it, it's obvious from the text that there was a reasonably large amount of it rewritten by Russell. Um, another interesting thing about uh, 
the the writing, and I think Russell T. Davies is extremely honest in this book. Um, I know we all have that image of him as this big camp. Um, larger than life persona and he's very very aware of that but I think he implies he implies in the book that it really is just that a, a public persona and he puts it out there um, to be a larger than life character to publicize the show um, and because he thinks it's good for the show um, and you know it's obvious to all of us that he loves the Doctor Who just as much as we do and he wants to do everything in his power to make it last forever and I don't think any of us can really argue with that you also get a great sense of uh, how loyal he is to the people that he works with. Um, he praises them all constantly, and, and that's a wonderful thing for the boss of this great big enterprise. Um, he's extremely protective about Freema Ajaran when, uh, when there are bad rumors about her, because he really wants her to be seen in the best light. Um, you can sense his absolute devastation about the, the sad death of uh, Howard Atfield, who, who played Donna's father um, in The Runaway Bride and, and was too ill to participate in uh, Series 4. And all the time, he's so complimentary about David Tennant and Catherine Tate, and deservedly so, um, having seen their performances in, in Series 4. Um, of course, the, the, the main reason why I'm sure a lot of fans will want to read uh, this book is, is the tidbits about lost plots and episodes that weren't, and uh, I wanted to touch on a couple of them uh, during this, uh, this little, little review. I'm not going to give too many things away. I, I, I'm just going to give you some, some general hints, because I think you know, you'll, you'll get a lot of benefit by going out and buying the book, and it really is a, a, a cracking read. Um, and, and fascinating if, if you're interested in writing and, and, and the backstage things that go on with Doctor Who. Um, some of the wonderful things that you get to hear about are um, what Penny would have been like uh, when uh, Russell was creating this new companion before he discovered about uh, Catherine Tate uh, being willing to spend a whole year in Cardiff. Uh, funnily enough, Penny's grandfather would have been in the Alien Watch group. She'd have been very uh, similar to the Bernard Cribbins character um, in Series 4, but uh, would actually have been part of this little, little Alien Watch group, which sounds uh, quite amusing. Um, in, in a similar vein, before Series 4 was uh, starting up, there was a rumor that Dennis Hopper um, was going to be in it, and apparently that rumor was real. Um, and uh, some of the other things we find out about are that uh, Russell was going to write the uh, first episode of Series 2 of Torchwood, uh, but ran out of time because he was uh, writing Voyage of the Damned. Um, and uh, instead, the only thing he wrote was that pre-title sequence with the blowfish, which we all found uh, very amusing, or at least I did. Um, so it, it's interesting to note that you know that's actually an, an idea that came from Russell rather than um, being part of the script uh, initially. Uh, we also find out about the dis two discarded episodes from Series 4. There was a, a World War II episode that Mark Gatiss was going to write, uh, which was replaced by the Pompeii episode. Um, and there was also a, uh, a later episode in the season that was going to be uh, written by Tom McRae, uh, which was going to be a reality show spoof type thing in the style of a haunted house or the most haunted reality TV show. And that one was replaced by uh, Midnight at the last minute. And, uh, you know, it's very obvious that Russell doesn't take either of these uh, things lightly, and, and maybe they will uh, surface in, in the future. Um, in, in a Stephen Moffat series 5 perhaps um, 
but both of them sound like they could have been quite interesting uh, episodes, but Russell and the rest of the production team, because it's, it's also very clear that uh, very little is done without a lot of collaboration with uh, Julie Gardner and, and Phil Collinson and, and the, really the whole production staff and Doctor Who to make sure that the show is as good as, good as it can possibly, possibly be. Um, the best uh, lost plot tidbits, for want of a better word, for me anyway, were the descriptions of the real vision for the Series 4 finale, which, you know, I, I uh, referred to for a long time, as I, I think a lot of fans did, as the rumors started coming out as a kitchen sink. But it was going to be a lot more kitchen sink-like. And some of the ideas that are talked about here just get you so excited and wish you could have seen it, if only they'd had enough money to do it. Uh, the thing that really stood out to me was uh, the background of the Shadow Proclamation and how Russell really wanted it to appear. Not only would have there have been the Jadoon that we saw, but there would have been a family from Raxacorico Phalopatorius, uh, which actually amusingly would have included Margaret Slavine. Um, it would have been the family that, that uh, she ended up with. In fact, Annette Badland even recorded the, uh, the little bit of dialogue that would have been included in that sequence. Uh, there would have been Crillitanes, uh, a 15-foot adipose, which just sounds phenomenal. Um, the Bane would have been there, the Grask, the Gelf, um, various aliens from uh, the uh, second episode of Series 1, The End of the World, and... Uh, Russell Tovey as a midshipman frame returning from a Voyage of the Damned who would actually have helped the Doctor navigate the, uh, the Shadow Proclamation. Um, and uh, this, the, the description of it is actually accompanied by a, a cartoon of Russell T. Davies. Um, for those of you who may know or may not know, uh, he used to be a cartoonist. That's actually how he started out. And um, scattered throughout the book are these little doodles that he does. And the, the doodle of how he envisioned the Shadow Proclamation is just amazing. Um, and, and it would have been wonderful to see at least more of it on screen than we saw, but of course it would really have been for us fans rather than serving the story so you understand why it was uh, excluded. Um, I think the other very interesting thing about um, the, uh, the Stolen Earth and the Journey's End um, evolution that you follow um, in the latter half of the book is uh, how hard he worked on that Bad Wolf Bay scene at the end of the end of Journey's End, um, asking himself and uh, Ben Cook, the correspondent who, who is as much a part of this book as Russell himself, uh, whether what what the real reason would be for Rose to stay in the alternate universe with the alternate Doctor and why she would be accepting of that, and you see how that developed. And while uh, you know we may not all have been satisfied with the outcome uh, that was on screen, uh, it certainly improved from the earlier drafts, and and I think it got to a point where we accept it. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't feel completely untrue. Um, e even if you do, you do wonder um, whether whether it's really how uh, Rose would have behaved. Uh, the the other little tidbit that we're going to see, I believe, on the uh, series four DVD is the original ending of Journey's End, which would lead straight into the uh, Christmas 2008 special. Um, with the Cybermen, which is, which is quite interesting. So I think we, we should all look forward to seeing that on the Series 4 DVD. And uh, it, it's interesting to read about why it was actually uh, cut out here. 
So anyway, to wrap this up, would I recommend buying The Writer's Tale? Absolutely. It, it's a really good uh, book for any Doctor Who fan, um, I believe. It's, it's probably the most interesting uh, of the end-of-year books that uh, the BBC have brought out since the new series started, except possibly the Series 1 uh, script book. And it's a good read. The style is a, is a lot like the production notes columns in Doctor Who magazine, which some fans love and some fans don't love quite so much. But it is a lot more honest, I think, than, than those columns happen to be. Um, there's a lot of detail about the scripts. And uh, in addition to the chunks of scripts that actually appear in the book, full scripts for all six episodes uh, that Russell wrote for Series 4, Voyage of the Damned, Partners in Crime, Midnight, Turn Left, The Stolen Earth, and Journey's End are all available at the big book's website at thewriterstale.com, which also has more information about the book, so check that out. Um, especially for, for writers, it's, it's wonderful that uh, Russell is generous enough to actually share these scripts with um with the fans and with the writers, so with writers, so that you're able to to really see what a what a television script looks like if you're if you're starting out and that type of thing. So just to wrap this up, I, I want to say that Russell T Davies comes in for a lot of criticism from fans, but there's really one thing that no one can deny that comes through in this book in spades. He absolutely adores this crazy old show that all of us adore. His vision of the Doctor uh, may not be to everyone's taste, um, although it is 100% his vision of Doctor Who that we are getting on television right now. Um, and I, for one, as well as the millions of new fans that have shown up and watched this show and supported this show and discovered this show, find it undeniably entertaining, and it really is undeniably Doctor Who, at least to my mind. And I think this book stands as a tribute to all the hard work that he puts into the show and everybody else does. And it really demonstrates what a phenomenal achievement the last four, four years have been. And um, we owe Russell a lot of thanks for that. So, so thank you, Russell. Um, I really enjoyed this book. I'd recommend going out and getting it. So I uh, hope you do. This is Barnaby Edwards from Doctor Who New York uh, signing off. And back to you, Lewis and the rest of the pod shop guys. Thank you, Barnaby. That was yeah, a, absolutely very terrific. intense, very in-depth. Yeah. So I, I just want to say that, I mean, Russell T. Davies gets a lot of criticisms from fans, and I'm not saying that he's, you know, he should be above that, and but he does, he has put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into the series. He's responsible for bringing it back, and, um, you know, it's it's no small feat that he accomplished what he has accomplished, and not just with just Doctor Who, but launching Torchwood and um, Sarah Jane Adventures, and uh, really put Doctor Who back on the map in such a big way. I mean, it's not. I mean, it's it's a flagship show now, and it's uh, people in the states know about it now. Where you single-handedly reinvented family television. Okay, well, I couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> so, and again, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that, that we can't criticize him, but I'm just saying that, he, you know, a lot of respect has to go his way, and um, lazy is not one of the words that I would just Yeah, I, I'm amazed you know. that someone would think, he, that someone would believe that he is a lazy writer. That's... I, I mean, I, they may be talking about story techniques or whatever, but, I mean, the, the, he, I don't know. I mean, I, I think he, regardless, I... 
even a, a bad Russell T Davies, um, and, and it's all subjective what you consider bad or not, but is at least if at minimum entertaining. Well, bad Russell T Davies is better than ninety nine percent of the writers for television out there. I mean, <laughs> it really is that simple, and I'm not one of those guys who criticizes. I our, our criticism should always be constructive, which is uh, what we like and what we don't like. Think everybody is going to have an opinion on things that they found to work for them within a story. But obviously it works for a lot of people because the show has just been amazing. So the, you know, overall he's made uh, more correct moves than incorrect moves. I think that anybody, I don't think that criticism uh, should be restrained, but there were people who just were unfairly criticizing the man. and, And we only have, a show to talk about because of Russell T Davies. Well, it's very easy for all of us to be what, you know, what some people call armchair quarterbacks. And, uh, and again, uh, you know, I've been very vocal about stuff that I disagree with. And there's certain things that, that Russell T Davies, you know, did go forward with that. I would not, if I was producer, but that's, that's what makes Doctor Who Doctor Who. I mean, each producer brings something else to the series, just like every actor that plays the doctor brings something of himself to the role as well. So, it's just part of what the series is about. So and the, the genius when, of the show. I get my producer, you know, chair. I'll do it my way. But until that time, you know, it's Russell T Davies is that is is calling the shots. And the genius of the show is that no producer and no act, lead actor stay on forever. The show continues. So if you really are that displeased, you don't have that long to wait. Sooner or later, someone else will come aboard. And well, and Stephen Moffat is being hailed, and and everyone's you know anxious to see him. But I'm sure once he's in that seat, he will be. Oh, you know, it'll four years will go by, and someone will be like, "I've had enough of Stephen Moffat." You well, know, I don't and, even think you'll have to wait four years. I mean, people will just start, you know. I mean, it's just human nature, but it's no pun intended. It's um, <laughs> it's people will complain, and 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 I mean, it, the thing is that we're very passionate about the series, so we take a very strong, you know, um, position when we don't like something that we're passionate about. So it's it's sort of you know our our, our favorite ice cream, and if you put you know the wrong sprinkles on it, we're going to complain and shout and whine and whatever. But we're just grateful to have that ice cream to begin with. All right, now I'm now I'm getting hungry for dessert. <laughs> well, I couldn't agree with you guys um, anymore. It, you've hit the nail on the head. Russell's doing a great job. I'm going to be sad to see him go, but you know. And I've pre-ordered the book already because uh, this is just one of those things that it's a, a must-have. We yeah. do have it linked to. on our website, thegallifrandembassy.org or pachak.net, and it won't cost you anything extra, but it, it will help us out a, a teensy bit. So um, if you haven't ordered it yet, please do. Long before Farscape and Firefly, there was one show which inspired them all. Successful BBC television sci-fi program. Ah, the original Blake Seven. It's like the Dirty Dozen in space meets Robin Hood. Cracking television, best SF drama of its time. A ratings hit on the BBC in the 1970s, it even spawned an affectionate parody, Blake's Junction Seven. Mackenzie Crook dons a slinky dress as their arch nemesis Serverlan, and Martin Freeman is the hapless thief villain. Did I have to bring some tart sauce as well? 
I guess you were. Johnny Vegas is Blake, and Marquis is the treacherous Avon. We've moved. All well and good, but what the fans really crave are new adventures. Thought you were switched off. My name is Ross Blake. Roger Blake, the people's champion. Jenna, are you seeing this? Don't worry, Blake. Yeah. Are you okay? I couldn't help it, officer. Just came away in my hand. This ship's called the Liberator. I want to see that ship for myself. Okay, let's go for a rehearsal. The long wait is finally over as Blake 7 returns. Radio lends itself brilliantly to sci-fi. It's big and cinematic. It's a three-hour epic. In a bold, reimagined series with a modern twist, a rebellion reborn for the 21st century. It's like audio blue screen. There's nothing to react to. There were flashes up there in the sky. I love radio. Like a battle. There! And the scenery is so brilliant. Will Blake's rebels live to fight on? This is one rebellion you don't want to miss out on. Don't move! Don't move! You know, these guys know their sci-fi. I underestimated you. It's a common mistake. It won't happen again. I hope that the Blake 7 audio goes straight to being a film and you know maybe it'll do 14 or 15 films and beat the Star Trek franchise. Confirmed. Hey, we would like to remind you about a special offer being made by Mike's Comics for the Blake 7 audio CDs season 1. This is a special exclusive offer that's being um being offered, it wouldn't be an offer if it wasn't being offered, to Doctor Who Podshock listeners and the Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi podcast listeners. So take advantage of this offer now. It's a three-release Blake 7 Season 1 audio CD set and at a special price at $55 postpaid, and it's something that you're really going to want to listen to. If you're not familiar with Blake 7, let's say you've never seen the television series or heard any of the audio productions, that's okay. This is a great introduction to the Blake 7 story. It's a great retelling. It's done with very high-quality production values, and it's something that, that, um, that I'm sure you'll get a lot of enjoyment out of. To take advantage of this offer... If you're listening to the Enhanced podcast, there'll be a link right now in iTunes that you can click to go to the special page. In addition to that, you can just type in Hitchhiker's Guide to BritishSciFi.com slash B7, and that will take you to the special offer page. And this is, again, at Mike's Comics, or if you prefer, you can call 508-756-9836, and please mention the Podshock promotional price. Again, this is a special offer being made by Mike's Comics exclusively for Doctor Who Podshock and Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi podcast listeners. All right, well, I guess that's going to wrap things up for another Sexy, swindling, um, swinging. <laughs> swindling. I don't know. Swindling. I'm tired. Another swindling episode. <laughs> you scoundrel, you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um. All right, guys. We'll catch you next time. All right. Well. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening. Cheers. But wait, there's more. I would like to remind our audience to please visit our website, thegallifrenembassy.org or podshock.net, and you'll find a banner button there for an audience survey form. Please, if you could, fill out the survey form. It will help us to continue bringing you this podcast. 
Also, since this episode was originally recorded, some updates concerning our sponsor, the New England Fan Experience. Be sure to attend New England's Ultimate Fan Experience at the Hyatt Regency in Cambridge, Massachusetts on November 21st through the 23rd. Since the recording of this episode, we are pleased to announce two other Doctor Who related guests, Eric Roberts and his wife, Eliza Roberts, who are both in the Doctor Who 1996 video movie. Eric Roberts, as you probably know, played the master, also Bruce in that film. And playing Bruce's wife is Eric Roberts' wife, Eliza Roberts. And both of them will be at the New England Fan Experience, joining Peter Davison there. So so please check it out. There are other science fiction and science fact and anime and other related guests there. Go to www.nefe.us for details. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock by the fan run Gallifreyembassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another exciting and informative episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Opening theme by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This is Louis Trapani. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Louis Trapani. This has been an Art Trap production brought to you by the Gallifrey Embassy and has been made possible in part by donations from listeners like you. So young. Mm.